Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you've joined us today and uh, ready to study the Bible with us. That's what we do on this program is uh, study the Bible by answering viewers' questions. If you've got a question about the Bible, something you've always wondered about, uh, maybe something you've heard that you think, I don't know if that's in the Bible or not, we'll be happy to try to find it for you. So any kind of question about the Bible or something in your life that you wonder what the Bible might have to say about it, uh, we're happy to try to find an answer for you. There's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You can use those anytime to get in touch with us and let us know what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. When I say us, I mean me, Steve Tandy, and my partner, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're back and studied up and ready to go. Uh, got some good ones today, but we always start with one for our viewers. So here's yours for the day. Uh, how many cows were in Pharaoh's dream? Pharaoh dreamed about cows, and how many of them were there? We'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you know a little bit of Bible trivia. But the uh, first one's not trivial, it's a question about the <laughs> Old Testament. So, Toby, why don't you get us Definitely started Definitely not a trivial one, and it's a, actually a dietary question. We get this on occasion from time to time. Uh, the uh, question is, do the Old Testament laws about kinds of meat to eat still apply today? Well, the answer to that is no. And sometimes you'll see people who don't know the Bible very well sort of mock the Bible as a uh, list of rules and and uh, it's just, you know, got all sorts of restrictions and you can't eat shellfish and you can't eat this and you can't eat that and that's why we shouldn't follow it. Uh, but in fact, it, usually people who spout those kind of things are simply mocking the Word of God because they don't know the Word of God. They don't understand it. Uh, God did have a, uh, under the old covenant, the old law, which was given specifically to uh, the Israelites, um, a, a whole set of uh, uh, rules and dietary restrictions were some of those. And uh, God had uh, called certain foods clean and certain foods unclean. Well, the reason for that is because they certainly lived in a different era. In fact, in the Old Tef Testament, uh, there is a promise that if they followed uh, the, the commands of God, they would have none of these diseases that many of the other nations suffered with. Well, we understand now that there's a lot of uh, dangers in some of the foods that God restricted. And so he just said, if you avoid these foods, you won't have any of the problems and troubles. So these, while we may view them as restrictive, they really were a blessing. Now, uh, the other thing you'll need to understand and uh, that many people do not is there's a difference in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and the New. Uh, the old laws that were written to uh, the descendants of Abraham, they were given to God's people. Uh, they were specifically for them, directed to them under that covenant. 
but we do not live under that covenant today. We live under the new covenant of Christ. And so when we uh, look at the Bible, we believe all of it. We trust all of it is true. Uh, but under the new covenant, we don't have the restrictions of the old. We have freedom in Christ. Uh, all of the laws, all of the restrictions, uh, all of the rules uh, that were given to God's people uh, were f- fulfilled at the cross uh, in terms of righteousness. In other words, to to be declared righteous in the old covenant, you had to keep the law. The problem was no one could keep the law perfectly then or today. That's why Jesus had to come. He lived a perfect life, fulfilled the law's demands 100%. And now today we can be declared righteous through Christ. Uh, You can try to keep the law if you like. Uh, Certainly nothing wrong with following Old Testament dietary restrictions. If you wish to, you just don't have to. And uh, you won't be able to be declared righteous by it anyway. So uh, if you want to read some scriptures on your own, read Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16, and Romans chapter 7, verse 6 which make it very clear that the Old Testament, uh, those commands, those uh, legal demands and requirements were fulfilled through Jesus and we're under a new covenant. Uh, let's look at one scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8, where Paul says to the church at Corinth, For food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. And this was a kind of a subject of controversy as uh, under the new covenant in the early church. uh, Some people wanted to keep those dietary restrictions and the Apostle Paul and the other apostles as well said, uh, we're we're under a different uh, set of, of, uh, we're under a different covenant today. So hope that helps. All righty. Question about uh, taxes here. Viewer wants to know, uh, why is the church tax exempt if Jesus said, give Caesar what is Caesar's? All right, well, Jesus did say that, and he said it in answer to a trick question. Uh, the fair people that didn't like him were trying to trick him into saying, yes, you ought to pay taxes to the evil Roman government. Uh, and that would get people excited because they didn't like paying taxes to the evil Roman government. And uh, so they asked him, should we pay taxes? And he said, yeah, just look, look at the coin. It belongs to Caesar. So give Caesar's what is Caesar's. Uh, and not only Jesus, but the whole rest of the New Testament uh, says we ought to pay taxes. In fact, let's look at one verse that says it just directly. Uh, Romans 13, and the whole chapter is about obeying the government. And Paul, one of Paul's arguments is, he says, this is also why you pay taxes. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. All right. So, yes, Christians should pay taxes. And the reason of the questioner was, why is the church tax exempt if Jesus said to pay taxes? Well, the answer is because the government says the church is tax exempt. Uh, From the founding of this country, uh, our government thought that churches provided a benefit to society, and so they tried to make it a little easier for churches to get along. In fact, if you read history, originally there were taxes specifically to support clergy and churches. Uh, Those got taken out, but then a tax exemption uh, came in that said, all right, we won't tax churches for property and things like that because they do a lot of good for the society and for the community. So that's the reasoning in this country, and that's why churches are generally 
uh, tax exempt on property and purchases and a few other things. Uh, so that's the answer. That's why we don't pay taxes. Now, if the government ever did decide that churches ought to pay property tax and tax on purchases and things, then Christians would pay the tax. <clears throat> the, the government says you owe taxes, we'd pay taxes. But right now, uh, churches are generally tax exempt. Now, I may not have answered the viewer's question. The viewer might have been wondering, well, why shouldn't churches be taxed? And that's a whole other argument. Uh, and I agree that some of the laws make it possible for churches to own property and things that are uh, not really church-related. And I can understand why people would think, no, churches ought to have to pay property tax on that. Uh, but current laws are what the current laws are, and Christians obey the government. Uh, so we'll, we'll keep following what the government says until the government changes, and then churches will pay taxes. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. All right. The uh, next question up is, when a believer dies and an unbeliever dies, where do each of them go? Well, this this is not a uh, there's not a scripture that tells us definitively. Uh, there are some scriptures where we piece things together and give us an idea, and this is, I think, the best idea that we have um, because the Bible just doesn't say a lot about the afterlife in great detail. Uh, t there is an afterlife. We know uh, there's awareness in the afterlife, and, and there's a lot of uh, interesting parts that we think about. But uh, probably the best picture we have is from Luke chapter 16, where Jesus tells a story uh, about a rich man and Lazarus. And uh, I'm going to read just a couple verses. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day at his gate, was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Well, the story goes on, and if you're more inter interested to hear more about that story, turn to Luke chapter 16 and read more for it, more about it yourself. Uh, but it seems like, as we read the details of that story, um, first of all, when you a person dies, they go to the realm called Hades, which is simply the realm of the dead. Um, and there seem to be, from this story, two different sides, two different parts uh, that are separate from uh, each other. And that one side uh, where Lazarus was was called uh, Abraham's side or paradise. Um, the other part of that is a place of torment where the rich man was. And there's... there's uh, uh, as you read into the story, read read the story, it's clear they're separate. You can't cross from one side to the other. You can't change your position. Uh, once, you're, uh, once you die, that where you are is where you are. Um, and uh, in, it seems furthermore that uh, the rich man knew who Lazarus was. He had, he had memory of his earthly life. Uh, he wanted to go back and warn his family. And so there's some, some things that we can learn about it, but it, that seems to be an answer to your question. 
uh, when you die, you go to Hades, and you're either going to be on one side of that chasm or the other. Um, beyond that, we don't get a lot more rooms, but it's uh, a lot more detail. But it seems like uh, that is the place of waiting until the final judgment day. So uh, that's what we do know. And uh, read Luke chapter 16 if you want to hear more about the rich man and Lazarus. Let's read Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 which is another important point to remember about when you die. Uh, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Uh, we know we're all going to die, and the Scripture tells us that uh, we need to be ready for whenever that day comes. So uh, that's the point. All righty. Let's take just a minute and talk about studying the Bible, which we enjoy doing uh, with you each week for a few minutes. But there's a whole lot more in the Bible than we can ever get to. So we advocate home Bible study. Uh, we know that's easy for some people and hard for other people. So we've got some tools that we think are really good helps in studying the Bible. We've got some courses uh, that you can work through in your home. We'll send them to you one lesson at a time. Here's the first set of lessons. There's eight lessons in it. Uh, then we've got other lessons that go into more detail about the life of Jesus and uh, the, the book of Acts and lots of different studies where uh, you get all the studies done, you'll know a whole lot more about your Bible. Uh, we've also added some online studies that we think are uh, going to prove popular and helpful. Uh, just uh, log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and request an online study, and uh, they'll get you hooked up with uh, a way to study the Bible online. So you can don't have to wait for the mail or do any paperwork. Just do it on your phone or tablet and study the Bible that way. So. Uh, phone number website on the screen. You can use those to request the courses or log on to that site I told you. Uh, great way to study the Bible. Lots of people have done it over the years and learned a lot about the Bible, so we invite you to give it a try. All right, question about a parable. Explain the parable of the prodigal son. Well, that's, I don't know how many sermons we could get out of that one, Toby, but we'll, <laughs> we'll see if we can do it in a couple of minutes. Uh, the first thing to understand about the parable of the prodigal son is what a parable is. And in parables, Jesus was generally trying to make one point. Now, preachers can find all sorts <laughs> of points in a story, but Jesus just usually told a parable to get people to understand one thing. And that's why we've named this parable incorrectly. It's really not the parable or the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of the loving father. That's what Jesus was trying to get across, was explaining God's love to us. So he told this story, which is what a parable is, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And he told this story, and his story was just over the top. It was just unbelievable, if you want to put it that way. He told about a father who had two sons, and one son decided he wanted his inheritance early, so he went in and demanded it. Father, give me my share of the estate, and I'm leaving home. Well, that's preposterous right there, but the father did it. And so the son went off and totally blew everything, wasted it in riotous living, uh, wine, women, and song, had a great time. Uh, but he got so far down that pretty soon he was lying in a pig pen. And then he came to himself. He realized 
man, I have really messed up. And so he went home. And the father, after all this son had done, the father ran to meet him and hugged him and threw a big party for him and gave him new clothes and welcomed him back home. And the other son, the brother, was mad about that. The brother didn't think that was fair. Okay, so that's the story. Now, the story was told to show us how much God loves us. And if you think through that story, uh, that's the logical conclusion. Well, the father loved unconditionally. Now, that was amazing. He welcomed him home even after all the bad things he had done. So that's the lesson. Now, we can look at it and we can really put ourselves in one of three positions. Uh, either we're the son in the pig pen uh, living wrongly and not caring about it or we're the son in the pig pen after he's realized this isn't the way to live. Uh, I've got to repent. I've got to go home to the father. And then we could be in the position of the brother who doesn't think that's fair because we've done everything right and God owes us <laughs> what we should have. So you can draw lots of lessons out of the story, but to explain the parable of the prodigal son, it's a story about the love of God, and that's what we should get out of it. Okay, good good answer, good explanation. Always love the story. It teaches <laughs> us a lot of good truths about nature of God. It so, does that. For sure. Uh, next question is, was it... God or Adam that named the Garden of Eden? Well, I'm not sure we've ever had this question before. Kind of had to look into it. Really, the Bible, the answer to that is the Bible doesn't say specifically uh, who named it. Uh, we know that God planted it. The scripture is clear on that. We know that Adam's job was to take care of it. I guess that would kind of be the first official uh, job ever recorded would be a gardener. Uh, was given to Adam. He was to tend it and to take care of it. And, uh, but the Bible just doesn't say uh, w who called it the Garden of Eden. I'm not sure. Maybe it's just kind of maybe uh, taken that name because it was the Garden of Eden. It was the Garden. Uh, but really, the Bible doesn't ever specify it. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, uh, verses 8, and then also verse 15. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And the Lord God, this is verse 15, Now the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So verse 15 is where we first find that phrase, garden of Eden. But as far as, you know, whether that, uh, you know, the author of uh, Genesis was presumably Moses. Well, maybe Moses was the first one who <laughs> coined that term. Uh, but it never says specifically that either Adam or God uh, gave it that name. So uh, that's, that's the answer to your, your question. All righty. There are questions we don't have an answer yep, for. Exactly. Let's see if we can answer this one. <clears throat> Jesus wasn't born in the time of Moses. So how were people in those days saved. All right, well, this viewer knows that uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Uh, so this viewer says, well, you can't get to heaven without Jesus. He wasn't around in Moses' day. Uh, how did those people get saved? Well, the Bible gives us an answer for that. Uh, Romans chapter 4 and verse 3 
says, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. All right. Abraham, Moses, David, everybody that lived in the Old Testament was saved by faith. And that's the same way we're saved. Now, we're saved by faith because we believe in God. We trust him is what that word means. Not just believing there is a God, but trusting him. Uh, believing in God is different than uh, just believing he exists. So Abraham trusted God. And how do we know that he trusted God? Well, he did what God told him. Now, if you read Hebrews chapter 11, we call it the hall of faith. It tells a whole lot of people in the Old Testament, and it says they were faithful. Uh, they were credited with righteousness. And every time it says they, by faith, it says they did something. Okay? So Abraham, by faith, left Ur. He left his homeland when God told him to. He offered Isaac when God told him to. And on and on and on, Hebrews 11 says this character was faithful because he did what God said. All right, so God knew their hearts. He knew when they trusted in him. He knew when he gave them command and they did it. They were faithful. Uh, so they were saved by faith. Well, same way we're saved today. We're saved by faith. Paul says that over and over. Uh, well, how do we know we're saved by faith? Well, because we do what God says. Uh, whatever he says to do, we do it. And that's living by faith. All right. Let's take this moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, Churches of Christ support this program and keep us on the air. And we like to mention some of them each week. Let me mention a couple in western, south central Kansas here uh, in Hutchison, Kansas. If you live around there, the Eastwood Church of Christ. That's their building. You may have seen that right across the street from the state fairgrounds. A uh, great group of folks there. Wayne DeWentz, the minister there. I know you'd enjoy hearing him preach the Word of God. And then St. John, Kansas, uh, preacher there, John McKeel, an uh, excellent fellow and then a great group of folks there in St. John. I know you'd enjoy visiting with them. If you live in that neighborhood, drop in and see them sometime. Uh, tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. Of course, uh, any viewing area you're in, there's probably a Church of Christ close to you. Uh, drop in and visit them sometime, or maybe you know somebody that attends the Church of Christ. Tell them that you watch this program and you appreciate uh, the teaching here, and thanks for providing it for you. So uh, visit the Church of Christ sometime. All right, Toby, what's up? Uh, someone has a question about a book. Not the Bible, but another book. Uh, and they said, I read a book that says behavior here on earth determines your level in heaven. Well, we really don't receive a lot of detail about the afterlife. I alluded to that earlier when someone was asking about what happens and uh, where do you go. Uh, and I know there are people that have theories about your uh, level and the number of uh, stars in your crown, the size of your mansion, and all of that. Um, and I, I think those pictures are beautiful that the Scripture does give us, but I think those pictures are designed to just give us an idea, not really to be taken literally, that, man, heaven is going to be amazing. So my answer to that is the Bible does not specify anything like that. If, if that 
is the way it is, then that's fine. I mean, God has prepared it, and it's going to be absolutely not only amazing, but perfectly uh, designed and prepared. And that's probably the, the point. Um, because it, the Bible doesn't say much about heaven, we have to be careful on this program, and, and one of the pleas uh, of the restoration movement is to speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent. Sometimes where the Bible is silent, we really have a lot of things to say. Um, we have to be careful with that. Um, we don't want to go outside what Scripture says, and when it comes down to what the details of heaven, we just don't get much. Uh, in John chapter 14, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And that's, I mean, I think that's an amazing thought, just to understand that uh, king of kings goes to prepare a place well you know any place that he prepares is gonna be amazing so uh, we can speculate people have written books and uh, done lots of speculation about what heaven's gonna be like uh, but the bible never just gives us that much uh, the focus is not about where we will live but about who we will dwell with uh, let me finish by giving you one verse. The Bible does say, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul wrote, What no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So, however heaven's going to be, it's going to be great. Yeah, Hope that helps. Got a good one to finish with here. A viewer wants to know, when Jesus cast the demons into the herd of swine and they all died, uh, what about the damage done to the man who owned the swine? All right, great question, and I'll have to admit for well, most of my life I never worried about that a bit. Uh, <laughs> I just read the story and focused on the uh, demon-possessed man and Jesus' power and all that. I uh, never really worried about the poor old pig farmer that lost all of his pigs. Uh, but this viewer asked that. I don't know. It may have been a lawyer that called this question in. <laughs> wondering if there's a suit here. Uh, I'll admit it doesn't seem fair from what we're told. If that's all that happened, if the pigs ran off into the sea and died and Jesus just wandered off, uh, that doesn't seem fair. And my conclusion is... Uh, although we're not told, if something's unfair, Jesus would make it right. Uh, Jesus wouldn't leave a man mistreated like that. Uh, so I'm confident that somehow Jesus made it right. And I don't know how because the Bible didn't choose to tell me that. Uh, he may have had Judas, who was the treasurer, uh, go over and pay the man a fair price. Uh, perfectly reasonable solution. Uh, He's Jesus. He could have had a whole herd of new pigs up here if he wanted to. Uh, so I don't know what he did, but uh, I can't imagine, after this viewer made me think about it, I can't imagine Jesus doing something like that, in effect destroying a farmer's livelihood and not giving him recompense. So I'd say Jesus probably made it fair somehow. I just don't know how. <laughs> let's answer our trivia question for the day. And uh, since we're talking about pigs, let's go to cows. How many cows were in Pharaoh's dream? I uh, see if you got this one right. It's a little tricky. There were 14. There were seven fat ones and seven skinny ones. And altogether there were 14 cows. And of course that story, that dream was forecasting uh, the seven years of good crops and then the seven years of famine uh, that made Joseph famous. So uh, 
That's the trivia question for today, and we hope you got it right. We hope you come back next week as we answer some more of your real Bible questions. Until then, we hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.